Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here. Thanks for tuning in to The Daily Evolver. While we're on summer hiatus from our live podcast, we're posting some of our favorite episodes from the archives. A while back, the folks at the Integral Center here in Boulder asked me to deliver an integral sermon for a Sunday morning service they were conducting at the center. I was psyched to do it because I've always believed that the story of evolution is not just the story of the development of matter and life, but is also the story of the development of intelligence and spirit and indeed love. And that evolution itself reveals spiritual insights that not only include the inspirations of the great religious traditions, but also include the hard truths of science. I really believe that evolution will provide the basis for the spiritual practices of the sacred world to come. So here's my stab at a little bit of integral evangelism. Have a listen and let me know what you think. I love to hear your comments and questions. You can either write a note or record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to me at jeff at dailyevolver.com. Thanks again for listening. What I have to offer this morning is really just a good question. You know, what do we actually do with this integral insight in terms of creating a spiritual path? And before I really talk about, you know, what that can look like, I would just point out that uh, integral also is, as a, as a structure of consciousness, is arising under its own power. And we can see it. Um, all over the place. And I'm, I imagine, I don't know all of you well, but I imagine if I looked closely at any of you in terms of your spiritual life and your spiritual development, you're taking something from here, you're taking something from here, you're taking something, you know, you, we all have many different, we've kissed a lot of frogs, you know, most of us in the integral world. And if you're like me, every one of them has turned into something quite lovely and beautiful. And, you know, I grew up a good fundamentalist Christian boy. And I knew what it was, you know, at age seven, eight, nine, ten, to be sitting in the lap of Jesus and to feel his love and to feel seen and loved by Almighty God and to know that God was in charge and that the world was enchanted. Actually, it was God's world. And we were God's children. And I got that in my childlike way, and I thought I had to give that up to move forward. And actually, in a way, you do. For those of you who know the integral map, um, that what I'm talking about there is, uh, you know, a traditional and in some ways a pre-traditional understanding of God. And that is that God is my great power and my great savior and is going, I, I get to live forever. It's actually quite egotistic in a way, and it is an ego, it still has a lot of ego involved. It's about my preservation. And, um, and in order to, so, but you know, we, we, we can see as integralists that there's some really good stuff there in that structure of development, in that, in that even fundamentalist structure of development. One of the things that's good is that you have faith. Uh, we tend to lose that as we move forward. 
And so most of us, everybody in this room, I'm guessing, adults at least, have moved from that traditional or amber structure, if you know the integral map, into the next structure, which is a modernity. And that is, um, in some ways, we're required to lose our religion in order to move into modernity, or it's a different kind of religion. Because all of a sudden, um, you know, the book, the word of God, just, it doesn't quite cut it anymore, because I'm living in a society now where I'm living next door to a Jew, and I see that actually they love their kids like I love my kids, and you know, they're good people, and I live next to this, and I'm on television in the world, and I see, and, and it's like, it's hard. I mean, in a sense, you have to feel for these fundamentalists. It's not easy to hold on to a fundamentalist belief uh, in a world where it's just being challenged, just fundamentally, if you will, uh, at every turn, that there's one truth and only one truth, and there's one way to salvation and only one way to salvation. That's hard to hold. But yet what we're asking these people to do when, to, to move forward in development is to, is to not only give up that, that contraction, but we're also asking them to give up the enchantment. You know, we, we suddenly move from a world that is God's world and I'm God's child to a world that is actually a, um, uh, an effect of pointless random mutation and we're on a rock hurtling through an empty universe and, you know, here we are. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and it's, 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 it's well known that the, 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 pay, the, the cost of moving into modernity is a disenchantment of our life. It's a disenchantment of the world and, and a rise of anxiety because we don't know who we are anymore fundamentally and we don't feel that security of being seen and loved. But yet we can't. I, I remember in my childhood, I remember actually being called by the deacons of my little Christian church into a meeting in the elders, many of whom were my uncles and great uncles. It was that kind of place, Western Pennsylvania, small town. And, and asking me, do you know, do you believe anymore? Because I was a mouthy adolescent and I was very upfront with the fact that I was an atheist at you know, 15 or 16 or whatever it was. And I remember telling them, and it was absolutely true. I was trying to be as true as I could. And they were actually good people, too. They were good guys. They, weren't, you know, they were just trying to do their job, trying to save my soul. You know, God bless them. Um, but I said, I'd like to believe that this lamp is God. I'd like to, I, I just literally can't. Uh, and it's just, I, I can't do it anymore. And, you know, it was left in rather unsatisfying uh, ways. But that is uh, just what happens. And so we move into modernity, and there's a new religion of evidence and logic and science and exploration and all of the amazing, wonderful things that create the modern world, technology. And there's a certain belief in religion in that, and, and we see it, um, particularly you're talking about the philosophy departments, uh, philosophy department up at CU, and um, and this is just true in terms of academic philosophy in general, and certainly in terms of any kind of neo-evolutionary. I mean, when I talk about being an evolutionary, most people confuse me in the general public, and Boulder, you can get away with it. 
but in the general public, uh, you know, confused with a really hardcore scientific materialism that reduces all of the interior dimensions to the exterior dimensions. So for those of you who know the quadrants in the, in the integral space, it's a collapse of everything f into the exteriors. So that we have, I don't know if you saw Bill Maher the other night, where we have Tina Brown on one side, and she's the publisher of Newsweek that published this, you know, kind of now famous, infamous in some circles, cover story about heaven is real. I don't know if you're familiar with the book, Heaven is Real. It's a neuroscientist who went into a coma, became brain dead, and went on a near-death experience that convinced him that beyond a shadow of a doubt that, you know, life is meaningful and life is enchanted and all of that good stuff, and that he saw heaven and experienced it, and he's back, and his whole life has changed. And that's an oft-told story for people who have had near-death experiences. But the scientists on Bill's show, and of course Bill Maher himself, were piling on Tina Brown for, you know, putting out this superstition and, you know, basically every stage of development, when they see what's next, it's viewed as a regression. So they see, it, it, modernists, scientific materialists, see any introduction of the numinous or spiritual or interior as being a regression back down to fundamentalism. They don't see it as a move forward. And that's true. We have to notice that about ourselves. A lot of times we'll see what's new and we'll sort of recoil from it because it feels like going back. The sexual revolution, for instance, didn't feel like progress to traditionalists. It felt like going back to hedonism and, you know, that sort of thing. So at, at any rate, this uh, scientist... Um, who just wrote a book on the cosmos. It, it was actually in a, quite an appealing book in a certain way until I listened to him. But the idea that there was anything other than just the neuronal breakdown of the brain as he's dying and the chemical synaptic whatevers um, was just, that was what it was. This was simply something that was taking place in the meat of your brain and you're having a hallucination and that's, that's that. And so that's where you're left with the sort of modern story. And so we get tired of that at some point, many of us. Most of us in this room, I would guess, are just sort of, we actually see that there is something more than just a materialist explanation. And so we move into postmodernity, or the green meme, and all of a sudden, the interiors just flood back online. And I can remember myself just being fascinated, reading books in psychology as a teenager and, and, and wanting to know about uh, other religions. And of course, moving to Boulder, which then I move into, you know, a green world of liberalism. Uh, of course, I came from very, I, I came from the gun and gods people, you know, back in Western Pennsylvania, even red uh, sort of that Scott-Irish sort of redness, tribal a little bit. Uh, and then I'm in Boulder, and, you know, I'm going to encounter groups, and I'm in the isolation tank, and I'm in the hot tub, and I'm doing cocaine and cognac till dawn, you know, it's wonderful. Um, I, you know, recommend it to brief, I recommend a very brief period of that for everyone. <laughs> And Naropa, and just, 
And it's a wonderful time. I, I, many of us, most of us in this room are, you know, still waist or chest deep in it in some way. Where we're with Julian, this is this, even the nature of this meeting this morning. It's like we know that there's so much in how we get it to fly in formation that in a, in a way that is truly integral and inclusive and embracing is really the question. Because at some point, the kissing of frogs becomes boring. You know, we realize that, you know, there's that old Zen adage, I think Jumpo uses it, Ken does, that you chase many rabbits, catch none. Uh, and so we know that, you know, maybe trying this and trying this is actually keeping us from going deeply into anything. And yet, do I want to take, I could never take vows, I tried, you know, I just, I just wouldn't, I just couldn't quite do that. And that's my personal thing. But, um, you know, what's next is, is really what's interesting. And, and how we actually practice that, what's next, I, I, you know, remains to be seen. But here's some of how I would describe what's next. First of all, it's a, it's a radical friendliness to all the stages that came before, and a reintegration of all of the stages that went before. And Integral actually has a nice sort of back pocket way of doing that. And that is, um, actually Ken Wilbur did a wonderful exposition of it in his book, Integral Spirituality. And that is seeing the faces of God, or the faces of spirit, in terms of the first, second, and third person, in terms of these these fundamental dimensions of, re, of human reality that are true in all cultures. All cultures in their language have first, second, and third person. That is, I talk about myself, I talk about you, and the space between, you know, the we space, and then they or it, the thing that we're talking about. And that all each of those uh, also exemplifies a face of God, if you will. And so we have first-person uh, spirituality. And as integralists, we want to like, be really friendly to first-person spirituality. And first-person spirituality is basically, Buddhism is a wonderful uh, first-person path. Of course, it's all of them. It's first, second, and third person. They all are, but they specialize. And Buddhism specializes in this and we see it in object relations in developmental psychology, too, this idea of seeing the components of self. And so in meditation, we're sitting and we're watching what I thought, I'll just use myself as an example, what I thought was this solid Jeff thing that's in pain walking around, you know, angry at everything else and feeling, you know, this is the subject-object split where I see Jeff and then everything else. And so everything is acting on me, and I'm acting on everything, and there's a big separation there. And in Buddhism, we're, we're encouraged to sit and actually see that this Jeff thing is actually more a verb than a noun, first of all. And I'm actually a occurrence. I'm an arising. And I'm an arising of body sensations. I feel my belly, my throat breath, and I can, of course, narrow my concentration, just pay attention to breath or any aspect of these. These meditations are thousands of them, and they're fabulous, all of them, you know. And I see that Jeff is also thought, that there's thought arising as pictures, 
Like when I think of my mother, I see her face. When I think of opening my refrigerator door, I can see everything that's in there. And Jeff is also narration. There's always a voice in my head that is narrating something. Uh, And if you're wondering what voice I'm talking about in your head, it's the voice that is right now saying, what voice? And that's just always going on, always talking. And that is one of the first real realizations of meditation is, oh, my God, this is all arising under its own power. It's like I don't have to do anything. I can just sit here and watch this Jeff thing arise. And I can narrow and I can pay attention to this. I can pay attention to the whole thing. I can aerate it with my breath. You know, the, the whole practice is to make space so that we can see ever, it's like the Google map, we can see ever and ever finer resolution of this arising Jeffness. And it's so intrinsically um, relaxing and intrinsically spacious. And so this is very powerful. And this is one of the reasons why people in post-modernity are so attracted to meditation because it does actually lead them to an integral space. Uh, ultimately, in a sense, because if we look at even looking at the, the developmental psychology, you know, we know that in fundamentalism or the amber structures, it's absolutistic. It's black and white. That is the structure of the mind. You can't talk somebody who's in absolutistic structures into pluralistic structures. They think you're, they think you're screwing with them. They think you're asking them to have supper with the devil. Uh, and and it, fundamentalism, if you're not at war, you're not doing your job. If you're not finding the devil everywhere, because the devil is everywhere, you're not doing your job. You're being naive and stupid. And that's the critique, of course, that traditionalists have of us liberals. We're naive and, you know, um, flighty and um, don't understand the true nature of evil and that sort of thing. And then we move into rational mind, where we figure everything out. That's orange. And then we move into pluralistic mind. And pluralistic mind, again, just wants to kiss frogs. They want to understand other cultures. They want to understand um, the interiors of other people. And that becomes the job of the pluralistic structure. And so what happens developmentally, and this is where meditation comes in so handy, is that to move out of that, and to move into the next structure, the integral structure, is actually a natural occurrence that comes when we, um, we spend time looking at your perspective and your perspective. This is what green does so beautifully, your perspective, your perspective. And um, at some point, as we do that, and of course in meditation I'm seeing that I'm this sensation, I'm this thought, and I'm, I'm not this monolithic thing, I'm a movement, I'm a a rising. And all of a sudden, one's consciousness is not about taking any single perspective anymore. But we are beginning to identify with the space within which perspectives are arising. You know, know what I'm talking about? So our actual identity, it's like if I'm sitting here and seeing that Jeff is this sensation and this thought and this image and this narration, and then all of a sudden, I, I, the question is, so who is this I that's looking at that? 
what's that? I mean, where am I now if I'm looking at Jeff and seeing this, you know, this conglomeration? And that's, 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 yeah, that's the witness consciousness so that we begin to identify again with the space. And that is a big move uh, developmentally. And it just creates a, a flex, we call it flex flow mind, actually, uh, developmentally. That's where we are, ha- actually have the ability to take multiple perspectives at the same time. Even perspectives that have been traditionally at war, like, for instance, science and spirituality. That we can see that these are two domains of reality that, yes, I mean, you, you can clench around one and deny the other, and you, basically religion has done the one and science has done the other. But from an integral space, we can see that we can actually accommodate both. How that, it's like, what did Scott Peck once say? I'm trying to think. Oh, I remember. Scott Peck's the guy who wrote The Road Less Traveled. And he was on, you know, he's a big influential spiritual thinker. And I remember being at an event where somebody asked him what he thought was the biggest problem that the world faced. And his answer, (laughs) I remember at the time being like, what? Uh, but his answer was quite good, and I understand it now. He said, how people, the biggest problem that we face as a, as a world is how people who understand paradox can deal with people who don't. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that integral space is intrinsically, accommodates paradox. It accommodates two thoughts that actually uh, deny each other. And it's a very cool thing. And so that's, you know, there's actually a practice in there somewhere. You know, perspective-taking practice that we do naturally because we just want to at this stage of the game. You know what I mean? And so that space is, um, you know, as, as we know from anybody who's done, you know, a serious Buddhist practice, at some point you have the experience that the whole cosmos is arising because you're not only at this point seeing my, I'm not, you're not only seeing yourself, you're seeing the arising of the intersection, you're seeing the arising of the birds, you're seeing that everything is, is happening within this space that is just clear and primordial. It actually is the space within which the Big Bang happened. It was there before the Big Bang. This is the Zen koan of, you know, what was your, the face of your parents before you were born. Or what's your face before you were born? It's that, that's what we're talking about there, is that. that and you, you're actually identifying. You can actually get it. You actually feel it. Oh, my God. Except you can't do God. That's the problem with, you know, at least doctrinaire Buddhism. You know, there's a lot of renegade Buddhists at this point who are actually de facto integral in the sense that they're, they're sort of taking a next step with this space. And that is that at some point, as you sort of marinate in this space, you realize that the space itself has qualities. And that the space, and you know, they'll go, Buddhists will go as far as like Buddha nature, where, okay, um, there's no God, uh, and, and it's, you know, non-theistic, but there is a nature, there is a quality, and the quality of this space that I'm talking about is Wisdom, compassion, love, it's the sort of louche, which is a Swiss word, I guess, for just that sort of life force, that that soup 
that we all feel that we're swimming in, that we're an arising out of. And that is a move into second person. Because once you start putting qualities of love and compassion and wisdom, and start attaching them to the space, then, you know, it's not very much further to just say thank you and who's you, you know. And I help me and I surrender. And all of the wonderful things that then open the doors to second person practice, which is the relationship with the great other and God, whatever. Now, of course, at this point, we can learn a lot and we can bring a lot into integral space out of the traditional space. There's a lot that we learned in that space about God and surrender and, and that my life is not my own and that I'm actually here to serve something bigger than myself and I'm actually here to love other people and to lay myself down. And these are wonderful things that, you know, we, we, we look back and they're, you know, at best quaint and at worst patriarchal. And they are in the traditionalist. I mean, you know, they're actually quite odious, obedience and all of that in, in, in the traditional stage. But we want to, we cleanse it. It's like Claire Graves says, you can't, you're not worthy of integral until you go through postmodernity to postmodern. Uh, because you have to sort of, and even rational, you have to wring the superstition out. And, and, and then, then you're worthy of moving forward and actually reintegrating, we call it integral for a reason, um, these, um, these second person practices. So, you know, for me the practice now is to pray and ask for help. And oftentimes when I pray, and it even doesn't necessarily include words, it's like I'm praying, it's like I feel myself, it's almost like I'm in the, the Greek Senate. There's just a whole bunch of people, and by that I mean 40 or 50, um, who are here for me. And I'm in the center, and they're my angels or advisors or whatever. And, and, and this is, you know, just idiosyncratic to me. I mean, you can do whatever you want. That's the great thing about God, is God will respond to anything. God is really cheap in the best sense of the word. I always love the, the line from uh, the Bible. Jesus says that if you take a step towards God, he will take back to you 70 times 7 steps back to you. Isn't that something? So to just actually allow ourselves to sit and, and say, I surrender. I have no idea who you are, but I feel your love. And I feel seen and cared for. And I feel like my life matters because of you and because, you know, whatever. Just sort of work it out with God. God's really good at, at, at helping with that sort of thing. And then so, you know, that feeling of being, oh, my God. And then the world's re-enchanted. And that's, you know, another wonderful thing. And that actually leads us to the, to relating to spirit in third person. And of course, third person spirituality is typically, um, nature mysticism. Uh, the great web of life, the great it, basically. Uh, 
And so this is uh, a, a pagan. Um, uh, pre-modern religions were all um, nature religions where you worshipped isn't the right word. You were enthralled. You were in the thrall of uh, nature forces because you had to live in it. You didn't, we didn't have the indoors then. This is, indoors is a great achievement of modernity, at least for the masses. Uh, but even, you know, anyway. So there's a practice here. So as integralists, we want to go and we want to bring back this, this, this mysticism of the enchanted world. And this is where Vajrayana Buddhism has, you know, they're working, they're sort of de facto integral in this way because they have this enchanted world thing going on. And they also, actually, what makes Vajrayana Vajrayana is it was basically Mahayana Buddhism that went uh, and re-encountered um, tribal religions, the bone religions. And so they brought in all of the sort of nature gods and goddesses. And it's so rich and delicious that, you know, once you get another, a new taste of it, it's like, I don't want a religion that doesn't have this. You know, I don't want that. And so really the practice of, of nature mysticism is the practice of being in nature with a pre-modern mind. So you walk, take a walk up Sinitas or wherever. Actually, take a walk down the Boulder Mall. It's all nature. Take a walk in the canyons of the skyscrapers of New York City. It's all nature. It's all nature. It's all alive. It's all enchanted. Human beings are supposed to be here. We were supposed to build things. We did. We were supposed to make mistakes. We have. But it's all part of the deal. But it's easier, especially if you're starting out, to go in just real nature and just get out into the wilderness and walk through nature as if you didn't know that the mountains were a um, geological effect of uh, tectonic forces in the planet as it cooled or whatever we know, uh, so that we look at the flat irons and we think, oh, yeah, it's sediment and whatever. And we could actually explain away. Um, that's one of the great things about it's one of the not great things about science, in the sense, is it explains away the enchantment. If you didn't know that, it's like you come upon the flat irons. It's like, I mean, I can't tell you what that is, but you can, as a practice, walk through nature, set aside your modern mind, and just walk through as if you didn't know any of that stuff. And then all of a sudden, everything is just the way it's supposed to be. And everything is beautiful. And furthermore, everything is, in a strange way, this is sort of the positive egotism. It's all about you. It's like the trees are, care about you. They're seeing you. You can talk to them. The clouds, the animals, everything is, and you're in the center of it. I always love this line from Walt Whitman where he said, there's nothing so in the universe, or wait, there's nothing so soft that it can't serve as a hub for the wheeled universe. Not something. Each of us is the hub. We're not, no, you, I don't care how soft you are. You're still the hub of the wheeled universe. Everything just revolves around you. Everything revolves around you. And so this is one of the great delicious insights of nature mysticism. 
And so as integralists, we want to, you know, sort of work with all of these in a way that is not just kissing too many frogs and chasing too many rabbits. And I don't know, again, exactly how we do this. I think, you know, a lot of people are working on this. I'm not, you know, the only one here, and we're not the only ones. But I think you were saying, Trent, about, you know, there's a couple ways to do integral. One is to, you know, do Christian and then have an integral sort of bring an integral sensibility to Christianity or an integral sensibility to Buddhism or whatever. And that's good. But there's something that's just indigenously integral. There is. There's something that there's a spiritual path that just actually in real time recognizes that I am a geyser of evolution in this moment. That I am the echo of the Big Bang. That the Big Bang is banging right now in me. And that's still, that the, the whole thing is growing and developing and complexifying and moving demonstrably century by century, no question, towards goodness, truth, and beauty, ever unfolding, ever unfolding dimensions of goodness, truth, and beauty. And that I am too. And that my relationships are. And that everything is an opportunity to practice that. And to feel that. And, you know, all chakras. In some ways, I haven't really thought this through, but, you know, there's just a, there's a you know, this is the, the nature mysticism, and this is that we space, and then the, this is more the I space. I mean, it's just sort of, I mean, we work with that, and we just get in touch with all of it, and we want it all to be lit up. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the challenge, in a way. And um, I'm glad we're here uh, working on it. So, any thoughts, and I won't take too long, but I, I'll just end with a little uh, some meditation, if I may. But if there's anybody sitting on anything really strong, I'm happy to hear it. Yes, sir. Um, I just feel like sharing that my second person practice while listening to you is what's it like being in Jeff consciousness, talking to this group, and me in this group, yeah. and being with that. Yeah. And uh, that was really, you know, Interesting to say that. Yeah. So did you have some sort of sense of inhabiting? and? Yeah. 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 Cool. <laughs> Poor guy. Sorry about that. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Cool. Lizzie. You asked me at least three times if I'm integral. Mm-hmm. And I didn't directly answer you. Yeah. What, what would... It mean if I had said yes to you, what would what would enable me to say yes? Well, <clears throat> if I said are you integral, I'd take that back. It's that, 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 that I don't. You know, there's not a hard, fast. You know, somebody's integral and somebody isn't. No, but yeah, I mean, are you integrally inspired, informed? Yeah. The the key to me is evolution. Do do we see emergence? Are you uh, lit up by, you know, the, the understanding and um, sort of embodiment of emergence? That's that's a key piece to this to an integral spiritual path. And I'm not sure everybody who understands integral really has that necessarily. But you know, being a spiritual teacher yourself or a spiritual 
guide or a friend, whatever. Um, you know, I know that's your business. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, that's, that's, that's a really, to feel, I, I know Dustin DePern, I don't know if any of you know him, I know a couple of people do, but he's a spiritual, young spiritual teacher out in California who's just trying to do indigenous integral, right? A pure spiritual path. And one of the things he does is um, to just do a one-on-one meditation where people look at each other and just see each other in process. Just see the, you know, emergence as a, a, a real-time thing. And again, Whitman, Walt Whitman, urge and urge and urge. Always the procreant urge of the world. Just always there. So that, that kind of thing. That, that's the juice of, this, of an inner spiritual path to me. So, you want to just have a little moment together? I'll do a little guided meditation. Yeah. Because the real fruit of an integral understanding, whether it's you know, a spiritual or even just a good old cognitive understanding, is that... Um, Everything's okay <laughs> in a way. That the system is waking up, and and a twelve-year-old isn't better than a nine-year-old. And everybody gets to be who they are, and everybody's precious. And yet we see the differences, and we're friendly. And so there's this, just this basic loving friendliness. So I'm going to do a, a, a basically a, a, a Buddhist loving kindness. Uh, meditation here will be about, I don't know, five, seven minutes. So just get in a position where you can be both relaxed and alert. That's always a nice meditation posture. Eyes softly closed or closed. And just notice our breathing. And maybe breathe about 20% deeper than you were when you were just unaware of your breath. And just slow things down just a bit. And smile. Full body smile. Belly smile. Heart smile. Face smile. Throat smile. And always the breath under its own power. And as we sit here, I want you to get a picture in your mind's eye, again, always images in the mind arising, of yourself as you sit here. Just look at yourself sitting here right now. And as you look at yourself, just allow a natural opening of your heart to yourself. It's not easy being a human being. Give yourself a break. Give yourself a little love. And as you do, a spontaneous prayer arises 
that says to yourself, may you be peaceful, may you be happy, may you be free from suffering, may you live in the light of love. Just feel that love that one has for oneself. And as we continue with the awareness of our breath, our scope opens a bit to include the people on either side of us. And just see them in your mind's eye. For the people just right close. And as you do, knowing that it's not easy being human for them either. From our broken open hearts arise this prayer. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you always live in the light of love. And we realize that we are love generators, that we can actually create the sensations of love. We can actually emit and radiate the vibrations of love intentionally as a practice. And so our mind and scope opens to include everyone in this room and everyone in this building and the children Boo-Boo the dog, all sentient beings. And we hold them in our hearts and in our mind's eye. And as we do, this spontaneous blessing arises. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you always live in the light of love. And we breathe. And now that we have our love generator going, we expand it to include this neighborhood. This Broadway and Balsam out there, the shopping center, the houses around us. We see people moving back and forth on their errands, doing their lives. All creatures, birds, dogs, mice, bugs. The whole scene. And we breathe it in, hold it in our hearts. And as we do, this spontaneous blessing arises. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you live in the light of love. May you be free from suffering.
And as our heart softens and expands, it expands to go west and east and north and south. And we feel ourselves including Denver, the mountains, and the eastern plains, and south into the desert, an ever-increasing capacity to hold the world. And we hold the whole North America out to the oceans, up to the Arctic, out to the Pacific. We see all the people, and as we do, out of our hearts arises this spontaneous blessing. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you always live in the light of love. And our awareness gets even bigger to include all of the world, the southern hemisphere, the east, all the oceans. And we see in our mind's eye this beautiful blue ball, our home planet, Mother Earth, falling around the sun, just alive with life, teeming with life. And all beings. And as we hold Mother Earth in our heart, the spontaneous blessing arises to all beings. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you always live in the light of love. And we're just a love generator for this planet. We just love and vibrate in love. And our awareness can increase to include all of the solar system, Venus and Mars and out to Jupiter and the sun. And we have it all in the space of our awareness and in our hearts. And as we hold it and think of all beings, from our heart arises this spontaneous blessing. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you live in the light of love. And our awareness continues to expand to include all of the universe, all galaxies, all of the black holes, all of the universe, the entire cosmos is arising in the space of our awareness. We're that big. all worlds, all stars, and all beings known and unknown. And there are countless. And you realize the whole thing is alive. 
And as we realize this, from our heart arises this last spontaneous blessing to all beings known and unknown in all worlds throughout the cosmos. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you live and love in the light of love. And we breathe. And we just feel the love generator. Our whole body. And let's just sit for two minutes just in this quiet space and just allow the whole world, the children, the intersection, everything should be here. Everything is arising just as it should. And we sit and in the simplest way, wish it well. Two minutes. Okay, so when you're ready, just open your eyes. Take a couple nice, perfect breaths. Thank you.